0: Hello there, Vincasters. Uh, Before I introduce uh, this episode's amazing guest, I really want to tell you about a partnership that I've uh, been involved with uh, with the Local Drop, uh, a Melbourne-based online wine retailer and personalised sommelier service. And they have approached me to put together a pack of wines that I'm super excited about. Uh, and uh, I, I wanted to tell you about that. So um, if you know anything about me or um, the wines that I've made under the Vino Intrepido brand, uh, you'll know that I have a great love and passion for Italian grape varieties here in Australia. And so, I uh, naturally, uh, the first pack that I've put together uh, includes some wines made from Italian varieties uh, from, from some great producers, like uh, Range Life, Unico Zello, and Fighting Gully Road. Uh, and it includes uh, one of my wines from the 2017 vintage, my uh, Pyrenees Nebbiolo from the Malakoff Vineyard. And, uh, and yeah, like I, I think this is a fantastic opportunity for people to try some different wines and, uh, and I guess, see what I'm kind of – what I think is one of the most exciting things going on in the Australian wine industry. The Italian varieties, I think, are really well suited to Australia's climate. Uh, and also um the stars of wine you can make from them um i think they're really delicious and honest and uh, and, and show great character so uh, if you go to the local drop website which is the localdrop.com.au uh, go to collections uh, and then click on the intrepid Winer collections you'll find the uh, the italo aussie's uh, pack for $175 which is uh, i think it's actually recommended retail of uh, about 250 uh, which includes shipping and uh and yeah I I do hope you support the local drop uh, as they are supporting me and uh I hope you enjoy this week's episode. On episode 139 of the Vincast, I chat with Ashley Huntington, former winemaker and now cult Tasmanian-based brewer. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of The Vincast. My name is James Scarcebrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino. And uh, unfortunately, it has been a little bit of uh, a break for the podcast. Um, it has been a while since I've been able to find some time to sit down and have a chat with a guest. Uh, been a lot going on, um, particularly in my uh, personal life. I'm uh, just about to get married. Uh, And so, I've been uh, obviously preparing for that, but uh, um, I'm hoping to have some more time in the coming months to sit down with some more guests uh, because uh, there's lots of people that I'd love to have on uh, and it's just a question of uh, finding a convenient time, mutually convenient time. So, uh, uh, I'm really excited about this episode uh, as it's a guest that I've wanted to have on for a number of years and, uh, it hasn't been easy actually, uh, getting a hold of him, uh, to sit down, uh, cause I wanted to give him the opportunity to, to, uh, have as much time as possible to chat because he is, uh, an incredible orator, which I found out at, uh, at the first grow assembly a few years ago. And, uh, and it is Ashley Huntington from Two Meter Tall Brewery and Cider House based in the Derwent Valley in Tasmania. Uh, I was recently down in Hobart and I had an opportunity to chat with him at the farm. So uh, I do hope you enjoy our chat because Ashley is an incredible presence and, and has um, some beautiful uh, philosophies and uh, makes some amazing products there. So uh, stick around until the end to find out how to get in contact with myself and with Ashley. But until then, I'll see you on the other side. Ashley, after how many years, I think, I've finally managed to nail you down here at the farm in beautiful Derwent Valley, Tasmania. It's been a frustration, James. Well persisted, thank you. And I was just thinking uh, this morning that... Uh, it's astonishing that after 130 plus episodes of this podcast, you are in fact the first brewer that I've had as a guest. Wow! And I think the reason is because I was like, "Well, I want you to be the first. So we finally got there, <laughs> and we you've been patient, which is uh, patient, which is which is uh, which is to your credit. But I think it it, it is certainly um, an indication um, of how in demand you are and and how m- how much people have embraced your particular approach to brewing that um that you know is indicating how how busy you have been in the last couple of years
1: look in my defense i am often here <laughs> <laughs> i'm not
0: and, <laughs> and you're I, not I, I wish i was i wish i was based down <laughs> and when here you've sometimes. been
1: here i for Various reasons haven't been, so uh, oh, from awesome. my perspective, it sounds strange that you haven't been able to get me on the farm given I when, spent when, all we,
0: of my life here. When you are in Melbourne, you there are you go, locked up with right. lots and lots of visits, yes, but exactly. uh, but we are here, so welcome on the podcast. I, uh, I start every episode by asking my guest uh, if they can remember the first interaction they had uh, with wine or with alcohol, um, probably more accurately in your case, that made them think about it in a different way and possibly set them on a path towards... Uh, following a a career in uh, in the industry?
1: Uh, Well, mine was pretty clear, and I still remember it. Um, uh, I had, uh, and just a little bit bit of background here, I'm from, uh, uh, my grandmother would be turning in a grave, demon drink Methodists so no history of 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 alcohol uh, really i mean you know, dad used to drink beer and uh, but you know there was no uh, like much of australia i'm uh, late 60s um uh, born so that period through the 70s for sort of white anglo australians was you know sweet sherry and beer shandies and benin Mazzel. so my but,
0: childhood is not at all involved in wine. Right. At all. And, and generally, alcohol wasn't consumed at home. It would be at a, you know, beer. At, at the hotel, at a hotel. Not, not at the dinner table? Yeah. Uh, uh, a white,
1: Anglo, Australian, 1970s drinking culture. Yeah. No wine on the table with food. Dad would drink beer. Mum might have a sherry or a Benin Mazzel, yeah. uh, you know, whilst preparing the meal. But there was no culture around food Having said that, uh, grandma, maternal grandma, uh, was they were dairy, fa- so we're farming stock, dairy farming stock from uh, Gippsland in Victoria. Yeah. and I grew up in the dry, dusty wheat bowl of northwestern Victoria, which is sheep and cropping country. Yeah. so I love a hill, James. Look at this. This is just perfect for me because there's hills and forest and it's just great. But uh, we used to go on annual holidays down to grandma's and she was a keen gardener. And Even as a little boy, I had some sweet corn of hers and I just couldn't believe. And I I just think that flavour of that fresh grown produce anchored into me Somewhere very early on Even though there wasn't that We always ate well But it was probably pretty badly cooked In that 1970s Australian way mm. Meat three veg But growing up And uh, still then A lot of people were growing their own stuff So you know Taste taste Hit me quite early I went to uh, uh, On We were talking about it before My f- first trip to Europe When I was mid-twenties, gave away a job and went over to London and did a six-month cooking course.
0: Right, okay. And were you interested in cooking? Yeah,
1: well, I was interested in food and I wanted to make everything I wanted to eat. Right. So that was starting a journey, but it was on the food side. And then in that uh, uh, six-month period, we did the WSET course, which is the uh, London Wine Spirit Education Trust, which you're probably very familiar with, which a lot of... English hospitality people do, so we like, did and, the first now in
0: Australia as well. It's yeah, probably very, uh, that's very, right.
1: I've um, uh, been around for a long, long time, mm-hmm. and uh, it, 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 that course involved the first one, maybe even two stages of that uh, of that course. Of course. Yeah, and and I'd gone there to learn how to cook, and uh, in one of those very early sessions, a bottle of uh, Gigal, uh, Bruni blonde. Uh, was put in front of me and I, it just went bang. Yeah. I just took a sip and just thought, holy cow. So I, I finished that course, came home and did a vintage at Mitchelton. Right. And away. Just, I, I'm, I'm, I was just, just gobsmacked by that. Never tasted anything like it before in my life. Just got absolutely and utterly seduced. And, uh, uh, and and there we go. Um, it's a meandering journey because here I am on a farm in Tasmania making beer. <laughs> so, so you know, commitment levels to the cause are frayed, but I seem to be just captured. Anything that sort of captures me and takes my mind, I'm likely, unfortunately, to follow it.
0: Yeah. So
1: it was 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 that particular glass of wine which doesn't really explain to you why I'm making beer, but I was... No, no, I, we'll, get,
0: we'll come to that. We'll come to I that. then we,
1: did a we, number we're, of we're integers through. and then went and, and did a postgraduate diploma at, in, an, in anology at University of Adelaide Yep. and then worked as a winemaker at, for at Roseworthy? over 10 years. Well, we were the last intake that went through Roseworthy, so we did our theory at the University of Adelaide in the White Campus, which is now where it all happens, yep. and we were the last intake to do the practical side of things up at up at Rosewood before it all,
0: yeah, got uh, consolidated at yeah, so, weight. So
1: we're the where the
0: uh, I I what now what was that? It was ninety six. Because mm-hmm. so, yeah, yeah, I mean my my degree was well, I mean I was external, but my um my residential school was at weight. Yes, and so, and so, yeah, you know, yeah. We, So we're they were the, the, the converting now. the whole show in mm.
1: in ninety six. Yep, uh, and I in fact we had a group from um, Rosewood. obviously still functioning, but not in the wine no front because there was a Just group of thirty five or something that. We're doing uh, various agricultural research. Yeah, visited here not so long ago, and yep. they were from Roseworthy, really, so it's still still a functioning thing,
0: but not 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 in wine. So, um, so so you made the decision that this like had you had any particular other career path at that point in mind? Oh, I was
1: honours uh, mm-hmm. in chemistry, and I'd uh, done, uh, so you'd done uh, f- food technology, and, and, yeah. and okay. w- was was my, my the 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 <laughs> the, la- the last. Uh, the last real job I had, not in the wine world, was a f- seriously uh, well-paying job with the Mars Corporation, making dog food snacks at the uh, uh, at the Pal factory up in um, uh, Wodonga. Wow! Um, Fun, <laughs> and I did that for three years. And uh, look, I could never quite convince myself. <laughs> The money was very seductive for a young fella. Sure, uh, but uh, every morning we had to go in and uh, change out of our civvies into these synthetic white uniform uh, with a little plastic cap. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if we didn't actually get changed and clock on by eight thirty, we lost ten percent of our day's pay. That's a universal, uh, or certainly was in my time, at the Mars Corporation across all their factories. Uh, it was another world, James, so I've just sort of saved up money for three years <laughs> and as soon as I could I threw it in, took off to do this cooking course and travel around and follow a girl as men are want to do and, um, and uh, in England had that bottle of wine right? and
0: uh, bang. Did you find that the, the the background in in chemistry and uh, in in food sciences helped as far as the studies and then moving into um, doesn't, doesn't wine history yeah it's related yeah uh, but that's a base degree
1: I suppose and I think education has changed such that that's now reflected um, uh, you know like a B. Scion's in sure. the late 80s is, yeah. is is now just a fairly base qualification, and in fact, I had a 10-year period before I went back and did postgraduate qualifications in enology, which wasn't a bad thing, because at that stage, I'd already done two years of vintages around the world and thought, right, I'm, I am <laughs> pretty fascinated by this. I'm going to get some formal studies, but no, ke- chemistry uh, is chemistry's a universal science, I would mm. say to people, mm-hmm. so it doesn't hurt. Um, I don't think it's mandatory either. But you know, there's an there's an interest in sciencey geeky things that's part of me. So you know, that's 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 not unusual to get here. But but all the 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 thing that really got me and and we can nerd on about science as you can in beer and wine for as long as you like. But there's a what's particularly seduced me about uh, food and beverage forever has been the applied agriculture. Sure. Coming from farming stock, we go back to that taste of my grandma's sweet corn, it's just wow, the complete subjectivity of why is that corn cob so much better than any other corn cob I've ever eaten in my life, why? Mm. And and can we get agreement on that? Is that a universal standard? Can that be repeated? How do we do that? What goes into it? It's the it's the applied agriculture which which fascinates me to this day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. How long did you work as a, a sort of a transient seller hand for you you were doing vintages in in Australia and, and in Europe on and off? Yeah, first one was Mitchelton ninety five. Uh
1: and did my postgraduate studies in 96, 97. So I think I worked about four or five vintages in succession. Mm-hmm. Um, and that postgraduate uh, diploma was only a year. Uh, so had done all the vintages in Australia. Intake was in July. Finished in June uh, uh, 1997, sorry. And then took off to Europe again to do the European vintage. So it was it was one of those uh, things that you'd be uh, familiar with, where you just uh, even in a vintage period, you'll try and cram in two vintages in different parts, yeah, yeah, climatically, so that you are actually um, it's like uh, it's like vintage miles,
0: yeah. Really. Yeah. So
1: I, and then uh, it, it very very soon after it was '98. So it was only a year out of graduation that I got appointed to be the to run La Bome, uh, which was Hardy's winery in the south of France, so in a way, I'm inexperienced, but in a way, I'm not. I'm like a fresh graduate, but I'm, I'm thirty. Yeah. So I've got. I'd, I'd had ten years of all sorts of experiences and Life vintages experience. and and that sort of stuff. So, but pretty young still to get a. What's a pretty senior senior position in in those days in a in in the major wine company in the in, in Australia, So I've also done my yards in corporate winemaking too.
0: Yeah, well,
1: let me qualify that. Probably not because I didn't work in the in the corporation part in Australia. I was in France running a small show which was so distant from the head office. It was all it was it was almost literally a case of giving a young kid so much rope that he could actually hang himself right so there was a even though it was attached to the hardy's outfit i never really felt part of it because my first engagement was running an overseas offshoot so yeah. we were very responsible in a way to out for our own thing in 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 a, in a lot of respects so it was a should not I, I i shouldn't i shouldn't go too hard on the on the corporate thing but fascinating experience a little bit different to the experience with mars oh thank god and thank god can i just say dog food come on
0: was um was was france a country that you were particularly interested in as far as the, well uh, the, they were, the, co- the the, co- the, 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 that the, the bosses won?
1: on the board would probably use uh would probably use an expression that i went feral
0: in right. france yeah
1: uh, difficult to rein somebody in when they're that far away and not involved in the daily meetings, and then you, you, you're immersed in this sort of modern winemaking in the south of France, left to your own resources, by and large. Um, extraordinary project to be involved in as a young fella. I mean, the, the languedoc has... We were at the at the part where... This is Van de Doc. Mm-hmm. This is 9% of the world's grapes. This is petrol bouses of Rouge Blanc et Rosé uh, filled into bidons, and that's how people drank, to drink a bottled wine. This is, this is cultural swill. Uh, grapes everywhere. Um, and uh, we were trying to do this branded thing uh, in a modern... Uh, Australian way, mm-hmm. and a, in the south of France, uh, making clean commercial, commercial branded wines for f- basically five quid. Yeah, uh, which is what the market, what the Australia, Australia were doing shiploads to England of that style, Nottage Hill and or whatever it was called. I've forgotten it. Um, and Banrock Station and all those sort of Australian brands of that late 90s period when the Australian wine industry was going absolutely gangbusters. Horton's White Burgundy. All of that sort of stuff. Yeah. And and, and, and huge press and, oh, it's great and it's sunshine in the bottle and it's terrific. and, And then one day somebody woke up and thought, it's pretty boring, though. Yeah. It all tastes the same. Yeah. And I think I'd got to that point too. Yeah, right. But you're in France.
0: Yes, so, so, so you're you are seeing other things. Yeah, did you see? Did, you, did you take advantage of that experience oh, and kind of immerse yourself in the culture and uh, cuisine and enormously, enormously influential. Yeah. You just
1: can't, because. And I I'd often often describe of of, of France as being uh, and and in Italy would be the same. I would imagine, and and, and Spain as well. These sort of places where my absolute interest. Uh, for my entire adult life, is what am I eating next? Uh, and you are all of a sudden uh, embedded in a culture where that's normal, mm. whereas in Australia it's not. It's, it's it, or it wasn't. It's, it's it's getting more so now. But even it it, it there it just is. It's culturally is. Um, you eat. You stop for lunch. Uh, it's it, and and there's there's very little pretension about it. Mm. it. It's just, I was to say the French would spend more on their stomach, as much on their stomach as the Englishman would spend on his car. Yeah, it's just a thing.
0: And so it's that about Germans as well. Uh,
1: that's that, that's right. There's, and and it's not restricted to Europe either. Uh, uh, probably the Japanese. You know, there'd be there's lots and lots of cultures where that is. And it's so that's uh, when you actually intersect with that, where your life interests intersects where that's normal, Mm. hugely, hugely influential. So you're seeing things, tasting things, you know, uh, coming from the Australian wine industry of the 90s. Where the entire vineyard across the entire country looked the same, same trellis system. We were pruning it the same way. We were planting the same varieties from from the Swan Valley down to Tasmania. Uh, it was all this, this, and you know, uh, and this is how you do it, and this is how you grow it, and this is what we do, and this tastes better. And then you'd go to the south of France and you'd see this thing stuck in the, the plan de midi, uh, these bush vines, a struggle, you know, laden with carignan and the, Bunches are grown on the ground and then the floods had come through and they're picking these things up and you just say, how on earth can this be? This is awful. God, the viticulture is terrible. And then you taste a grape and you'd think, holy cow, why does this taste so good? Yeah. And, and it just, it, it completely, uh, so I often use the expression, I came out of university as a trained monkey winemaker. Uh, and often use uh, silly terms like you know going up to a tank with the stethoscope and saying you know fifty parts of sulfur and a couple of grams of acid and 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 then you you, you then you see these things that shouldn't be the taste great and my inclination was to follow the tastes great not the tech not the technique that I'd been told is this is how you do it yeah this this ta- and then we would then we would bring it in and we'd sulfur the bin and treat the grapes supposedly properly and refrigerate the shit out of them and, 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 and try not to get them oxidated, and, and then you'd taste the juice in the tank and you just, no, it doesn't taste like what I tasted in the vineyard. Yeah. And you start to question. Slow process, but it really started to, can I use the term fuck with me on here? Yeah, absolutely. It, it started to really mess with my mind. I, and so I, I remember one particular vineyard. I was in France doing that job for nearly seven years, And I think I was chasing this particular patch of Sauvignon Blanc for those seven years. And on about the sixth or seventh year, I tasted in the tank what I tasted in the vineyard. I was ecstatic. We didn't do that by conventional means. It was remarkable.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so in in a way, the the kind of that experience you had when you were young and tasting that raw, the, the raw material of the corn. And obviously, wine and beer, you know, alcoholic beverages, they're a different kind of product where there is a a lot more processing involved, and it doesn't necessarily taste the same, particularly when there is so much processing that is done with a lot of 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 beverages that are produced out there. And so, you wanted to capture in that beverage the same experience you had as a child tasting that corn. Yeah, I think I think. That in fact, there's, a, there's an expression we use,
1: uh, well I use, in uh, 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 with relation to the beer industry, where I say, in the last one hundred, one hundred and fifty years, all of the technology and processing and industrialisation uh, has led to uh, a massive increase in the quantity that we can make, but hasn't done a goddamn thing to improve the taste.
0: Mm. None of it. Mm. That's worth the improvement has been like consistency and, and accessibility for, the, the, for everyone. and Absolutely. And then, across the board, whether
1: it be uh, an industrial process or an artisan process, uh, that has changed the thought process. So therefore, and we still get it to this day apparently the determinant of quality is its consistency. And I'm saying, no, that's an industrial term. Mm. Consistency is required in, in a factory. Uh, nature doesn't do consistency. Nature does. Uh, and, and there's a fork in the road. So we're often now, you get criticised for inconsistency. You can't follow the seasons. And talk the talk of consistency and then not interpret mm. what you're given mm. each season. Mm. And at that fork in the road, I turned emphatically
0: towards the taste. Emphatically. And and it would have been an important part of the experience was doing it over time and over a number of years and sort of seeing how each year was different and every season in that each year things change and and. You are like if if nature was consistent, we wouldn't have four seasons. We'd have the same weather every day. You know, the land would be flat. We'd all eat the same thing. But that's not the way nature is. But what what nature what I find nature provides not rather than consistency is balance. But the balance moves well, uh,
1: and it's and and if you graph this, it'd be like some sine curve. Yeah. Now, the cons- and downs aren't bad. The consistency argument f- puts puts a modulation on that sine curve, mm-hmm. uh, which, uh, if that is the goal, that is a good design. But uh, the counter thought process to that is that you are not only limiting the troughs, you are cutting the potential peaks. Yes we can make the same uh we can make the same uh, argument with uh, things like spotify for example and music uh the data file trims bits mm. uh, so that it's all downloadable and all very and then you go back and you put a vinyl uh on uh, uh and i hadn't had my uh, a vinyl player for 25 years yeah. for various reasons of moving around and all that sort of stuff and I remember, and I set it up about ten years ago when we came down to Tasmania, and I put this old vinyl record on, and for goodness me, it felt like the musical equivalent that I'd been eating McDonald's for twenty-five years. Yeah. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, I heard all of these bits in these songs, the the, the full file. Uh, so you can't always, you know, th- there is there is a place for both. I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm not. Saying uh we don't do uh, that consistency because it's wrong, we don't do consistency
0: because that's not what we're trying to do, but at the same time, you're also not making a product for the entire population no. <laughs> and and that and I think that's with things like corporate consolidation and and sort of Attempting to get consistency and look boiling down things down to the lowest common deno- denominator, you know that kind of dulls everything. But that's for the, the the big market. That's for the big part of the population. And I think I mean I, obviously in terms of music, recently obviously Aretha Franklin just passed away, and one thing I heard people say a number of times was. You know, when she recorded that music, she actually had to do the singing. There was no manipulation of her voice. They literally would just turn a microphone on, and she sang into that microphone, and they recorded it, and that's it. And and there is something kind of beautiful about that that is sort of a bit lost. um, As far as uh, the more often than not, you know, it's it's live music, and even that you can kind of play around with. I mean, and live music is kind of. uh, Relative when you when you look at the the culture of DJs and the fact that they're not actually playing music live. But I anyway, can, but that's I can't I can't speak <laughs> to Aretha personally, but I would imagine that that uh, that
1: is more the definition of her stardom mm. than the records she produced and the sales she achieved. For the people that actually saw that, yes, and heard that, and her ability up close to do those sorts of things, that would have marked them, and I think therein lies what she was, rather than the commercial success, mm-hmm. for example, that she was able to achieve. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that metaphor is going through, but but that's, that's, what I, that, that's what I'm thinking. So if, if – uh, uh, and, the, and, the, and the thing that struck me the most was here we were, and I still uh, describe winemaking as the very best example of value-added farming. Yep. So it's one of the few, in my experience, particularly in Australia, it's one of the few uh, occasions where the farmer grows, produces and takes the product to the market. So these black things behind you, these cows, most uh, beef farmers in Australia are producing a product which they trade amongst themselves, sale yards. Yep. Uh, My father was involved in the livestock industry for his entire working life and I doubt whether he ever met a chef. Yeah. And I find that gobsmacking, uh, strange and telling Mm. uh, because... Let alone the final consumer who is actually eating. Let alone the final consumer. So where's at some point there is a complete and utter separation and disjuncture in what should be a fluid line uh, from farm to uh, end user. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, that is changing uh, at a small end of the market, which is great, but by and large, uh, I still think, uh, by and large, winemaking has been and still is an extremely good example of farmers taking their product to market. And if you're dealing with an individual farmer, say, uh, and we talk vintages and seasons and the 2017 was amazing and the 2016 it rained a lot and so therefore... (coughs) We almost talked that down. But that's the the point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's the point, James. Mm -hmm. Uh, 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 We have to... There shouldn't be any... This is... Uh, and, and I'm not saying that that uh, uh, brings an acceptance of low-quality product. Whatever that means, I'm really starting to interrogate the entire a uh, 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 judgmental system uh, 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 attached to that whole mindset. Uh, person, place, season, uh, hard labour, product, and then... You know, some sort of arrogant dismissal of, sort of you know, a bit washed out or whatever. You know, whatever it means. It, mm. it, 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 to me, it just doesn't seem right, mm. and it's it's got t- t- too much t- t- traces
0: of arrogance attached to it as well. Will you come here and you come here and
1: try and deal with that?
0: And uh, for, speaking of my, myself personally, um, now that I've had you know a couple of vintages um, of making some of my own wine such as it is, you know, I'm not growing it. I I'm, I'm obviously would love that opportunity, um, but, but I'm purchasing grapes and I'm making decisions about how I want the wines to be. Having had a background working both in retail and obviously I still do work in wholesale and, you know, having wine submitted to me for me to taste and talk about, when I'm taking something that I've made to that market, I do realize that there is that kind of. It's so easy to pass judgment on something. It's so easy to, um, and it's not like to, to put something in front of someone and they say, oh, you know, it's such and such. I'm not you know, that interested, but you know, come back next year, kind of thing. I can then take that same wine to someone else, and they might love it. That's it. And That's that it is. like so, the kind of, I find it fascinating that there is this constant um, seeking out of objectivity is, yes. when you are assessing something, you can't be objective because ultimately you are looking at something based on your experiences, you are comparing things, you, it's, it's based on a certain framework that you have developed in your mind, whether consciously or not, and ultimately someone else might have a different experience and, and, and assess and see things in something that you might not, and that doesn't mean that they're wrong either. So pre- why, why is this, this constant trying to achieve this, this cons- consistency, this conformity, this mitigation of, of the ups and downs of life and nature? Unless that is
1: at the basis of your project. If, that's, if you want to produce a consistent product, sure. absolutely. Absolutely. And, and 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 if that become and if that is a goal, go for it. Speak yep. to it. Do it. Yep. You want to produce something that tastes the same every year? That is a skill in itself. But don't tell. But don't tell
0: me that I'm wrong. But for, don't for judge not somebody else who yep. doesn't
1: do that yep. on that criteria. Yeah. Yep. Because it's irrelevant. So we can't have universalisms. And vice versa. And, and vice, versa. vice versa. So therefore, uh, as a producer, the role of the producer is. Always to explain what it is they do, yes, and to the best and most honest of our ability, uh, so that because in fact that that also brings in the enjoyment yes and 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 particularly at the individual artisan level, uh, selling into individual places who are looking for that sort of thing. An entire repartee starts, which is captivating in that field. Yeah. But is probably not the product that we want to expand if we're looking for volume. Yeah. Because all of a sudden we reach a clash point. Yeah. Yeah. So, so horses for courses. You know? But
0: ultimately, and whether it is. Uh, a cow, or a pe- or some corn, or whether it's grapes, or um, you know something that you something that you are converting from a raw agricultural product, whether you are a, a winemaker or a brewer or a chef, um, ultimately you are enjoying it on its merits. But that is part of the the process is to contextualize and to sort of because. It's the same thing when you go to a restaurant and you say, "Oh, the, the chef has prepared it this way," kind of thing. And that right. sort of thing. Oh, that adds that adds value to the experience because ultimately, all we have in life is experiences. We can't take anything with us when we go. So, that kind of that those are the experiences that I seek out. And 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 when you say, "I tasted this this piece of of meat," and it. Made me think about all these different things. I still carry that experience with me twenty years later. <laughs> that that's that is the true life. <laughs> that, that is a, that is the true value of, of life is, is experience. And
1: and, and and back to the French experience. I will I will never forget. Um, we were having a visitation uh, from a, a group of clients from England. And they came in and and uh, and there was a busload of them or whatever it was. And we were preparing visit and lunch and all this sort of stuff. And <clears throat> And, uh, my secretary comes into my office and says, I've just, just, I've just got the, uh, I've just got the facts in from the group that's coming next week. And, um, and, uh, there's a few people that have, uh, indicated that, um, that they don't eat meat. And I said, yeah, well, I'll be vegetarian. So it'll be fine. We'll, we'll, we'll accommodate that. And she just looked at me and she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, they, they don't eat meat. So we just, we'll have a, Couple of dishes on the side that don't contain meat, and that'll be fine. And she's she's still standing there. She just didn't get the concept. Yeah. <laughs> she said, "What? What do you mean that don't eat meat? But they're coming here. They'll eat what we make them." Yeah. And I, I and I just and I looked at her and I just thought, "You've never encountered this before, have you?" Yeah. Where you're actually you're actually you're actually faxing, and that puts a that puts a date on it. You're actually faxing forward what you will tolerate and what you won't to, yeah. to a place that you're you're visiting yeah yeah i think that's I don't, I don't know there's this that's that's not a that's not a judgment or anything on on, on vegetarianism or not whatever ever, yeah but it's it isn't it an interesting concept and, and that's what she was floored by was the fact that somebody would actually i'm coming to visit you and I won't eat this do that um I want it to be like this and hang on a minute you're coming to see us yeah but isn't, isn't it our role to show you what we do and then you can politely say you know I'll decline yeah there's no obligation that you' Do you understand what I mean it's a yeah, wish... yeah that was a real uh, th- that was a uh, there was somebody who uh, and that I described... that was a fairly cultural uh, experience sure. And I'm not saying that's that's universally French or whatever but but just to see that in in the in the region that we were and to hear that and be faced. By that, I thought it was quite fascinating.
0: Yeah, right. So um, what was the journey from the wine industry into your interest in, in beer and then <laughs> your particular interest in beer that uh, oh, has ended up with uh, Two minutes Tall? James, it's
1: it's uh, this is where it all goes, a bit pear-shaped.
0: You see that hill behind us up here? Yes. That is the best vineyard site.
1: fondly of this hill. That is the best <laughs> vineyard site I have ever encountered. Without a vineyard on it. <laughs> This is this is this this two and a half hectare north-facing uh, slope, which is off which is north off south, which is very important in Tasmania. And underneath that uh, lovely soil is a sandstone base, which is just it's it, it look it is it is an outstanding vineyard site. It was inconveniently attached to 600 hectares. So I've come to Tasmania and I've done six months research and I have a huge distinction between southern Tasmania and northern Tasmania and I had been following, I'd, 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 I'd come to Tasmania and done a vintage in 1998 because I'd tasted a Heemskirk Gewürztraminer, um, sorry, 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 I got it wrong, Steve Lubiana made a Gewürztraminer and I had that at Stella, which is Jeff Lindsay's restaurant, which was Wow. wow, pretty, pretty, pretty uh, tops in going, the going in the, in the late nineties, and I had uh, and I had never tasted anything like this in a wine, and I just thought, wow, that is extraordinary. I got a, and I immediately down to Tasmania. Where's that come from? Mm-hmm. it? you know, that's that's, uh, that's remarkable, um, flavours, and and got myself hooked in Tasmania because uh, in those years leading up to that, hadn't been to ta- Tasmania. Tasmanian flavours were still significantly different from anywhere else in Australia. I mean, you know, we talk about regional differences between McLaren Vale and Coonawarra and la 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 la. Tasmania was remarkably different, mm. and I stepped off the plane, did a vintage at uh, what is now Biofires, which was then was Rochecombe, independent thing, uh, just. Because at that stage, most of Tasmanian grapes were going to Domaine Chandon as grapes. So there wasn't much wine making in Tasmania. Mm-hmm. And I thought, ooh, good. That's the jumping off point. That's where, we, that's where they collate all the grapes from all over the state. And they them, shipped them to Domaine Chandon. And I'm to work there so I can taste every bin of grapes coming from every vineyard in Tasmania. And therefore, convinced myself after that experience that the South was where we need to be. As the flavours were and then probably went to France. I'm coming back though this is this is this is where we need to be in australia this is just this is just great so yeah, disappeared to France and then started you know uh itchy feet seven years later, eight years later, whatever it had been in the boom, and the company was being sold and all that sort of jazz mergers and acquisitions James. Mm-hmm. very big wine making thing um and I hadn't not two thousand and four. I don't. We, we got we got bought and the company got bought and sold twice. I don't think I, I. don't think I tasted a grape that year. I was too busy dealing with the financial machinations of the business end of the thing. Anyway, so it came back, and spent six months and looked at a hundred and fifty properties in the south of Tasmania. I've still got the folder. And settled on that for that hill. And I was going to plant. I wanted, I wanted a specific clone of uh Syrah. From the, Because people say, you know, Tasmania, Burgundia Bullshit, ever been a Burgundy? Nothing like it Absolutely nothing like it Nothing like anything in Europe But if there is somewhere that it might be vaguely similar to It's sort of like the northern end of the Rhône And uh, so I wanted this particular uh, clone And I managed to get it off Yves Creon's uh, Conrieux Vineyard that is the structure in the Pinot Noir in the Derwent Valley, which has got this beautiful blackberry core of fruit. I was going to hang that fruit on the structure from this... I'm going to plant 10,000 vines to the uh, hectare. No trellising. Amazing project.
0: Mm.
1: A lot of work. <laughs> How's it going, James? <laughs> Fif- 15 years later, there's a cow up there.
0: <laughs> help! Help him prepare. Help him
1: prepare. Keep in, the gracious, grass, keep in the grass. Goodness gracious me! Well, the point is, I fifteen years later, no vineyard in the ground, and I'm now brewing beer. Um, something happened, and I'm just going to def- default to the Italian setting, which is the old boy will come out and he'll say, "This is a place where you should grow olives. This on this hill here, you should grow grapes." And on these flats here, you should grow zucchini. It's a statement of agricultural fact. Whether you plant it or not, it doesn't matter. If you did, that's what you would yeah, do yeah. on that, because that's the place to do that. Yeah. And I often jokingly contrast that with the Australian way, which is we buy 10-acre soldier settlement block at Toole and Tell try to convince everyone that that's the best place on earth to grow the grape. Put, put in the put in put in the vineyard, and then try and tell everybody that that's the best place on earth to, to, to grow the wine. That is a statement of economics. Because I've got to make
0: a living, and la 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 la. You see, is, so there's a difference. And uh, we'll plant ten different varieties, and you know, we'll so we've got something for everyone. And something
1: for everyone, citrus, citrus, citrus. We'll
0: say every variety. Oh, we make the best of that variety in the whole region.
1: Because I've got kids to feed, and I've you know la la la. Whereas the other one is just so I'm just. Fifteen years, six hundred hectare farmer, far too big. Got the perfect vineyard site. Haven't done a bloody thing. Um, so I, I have no option but to default to the agricultural. <laughs> that is a ripping vineyard site. But just across the road here, just across the Derwent River, and something else around. This is this is hops. I'd never seen a hop in my life before. And I, what are they? The hops. Hops, beer, like beer.
0: Never a lot, seen lot one of gone. wine made with, uh, with a lot of beer.
1: The agricultural history of the Derwent Valley is hop growing, not grape growing. So from New Norfolk, which you drove past, all the way to Westaway and all up the tributaries of the Styx and the Lackland and the Molesworth Valley. Uh, you came here in 1968, the year I was born. There were 169 hop growers in the Derwent Valley. Schools used to close during hop harvest. So that the kids could go out and help with the hop, bring the hop harvest. In. That's the agricultural
0: history of this particular part of the world. So, is there a particular reason why the Derwent Valley was planted so heavily to hops? What is it about this part of the world that maybe is so good for growing hops?
1: This is going to shock your listeners. <laughs>
0: Let's indulge in a
1: little bit of, a little bit of sort of. Uh a little bit of uh, 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 Australian ignorance because uh, the Derwent Valley is the sunniest, one of the sunniest parts of Australia. Right. In midsummer, we have 18-hour days. Yeah. And hops respond to day length. Right. Principally. M- many, other, many others, but, but... So the Derwent Valley, and particularly here, just where we're sitting, you can see that the sun is... We're September... In midwinter, it barely gets above the hills. Now it's at about 45 degrees angle. By January, the sun is directly overhead, and we're sitting out in the middle of the Doon Valley. And it rises in the east, and it sets in the west, and it goes straight overhead. And it's a long day, mm. and that's what hops need. And so that's that's so it's not necessarily climat uh, climactic. Yes. Yeah, but but it's principally day length. There's a l- number of other agricultural factors, but principally it's day length. Right. Once the soil temperature gets to ten, right now they're coming out of the ground, and nothing
0: will stop the bastards until. So, being that we are so far south, that 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 beautiful. is one of the the. Okay, interesting. And so, and so you so you saw these hops and found out that what I, I remember you quoting a number of years ago. Eighty or ninety percent of all the hops grown yeah. in Australia are grown in the Derwent Valley.
1: That <laughs> farm's been operating since 1830.
0: Yeah, it's grown hops. That's all it's grown,
1: and 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 the va- the Derwent Valley since the 1850s was growing eighty percent, if not more. It's a little bit less these days uh, because they're growing a bit in Myrtleford in Victoria. Yep, um, that's the other r- region. Um, but uh but but right up until the sixties and seventies, the Derwent Valley was growing hops. The only use for hops is beer. The only use for hops is beer. We don't do we do other things with grapes. We don't do anything other th- with hops except flavour beer.
0: Eighteen
1: mm. thirties, I got here in two thousand and four. It's hundred and seventy five years ish. Mm-hmm. It's the agriculture of the Derwent Valley. 169 small family farmers growing hops along the Derwent River in 1968. Only use for the product is beer. So it's
0: never been a brewery in the Derwent Valley, ever. Uh, Tasmania famously has, you know, a number of breweries, in in the case of Bogues and Cascade. Two. Technically, Cascade might. Beyond, no, it's not the Derwent. Yeah. Look. But as far as in the region itself, in the Derwent Valley itself. You
1: go to Kunawara and the closest wineries in Millicent. Mm. They're growing all those grapes. It's all they do is grow grapes in the Kunawara. Mm. And you're driving through there and you say to somebody, Cabernet Sauvignon, wow, it's great. Mm-hmm. You go, Can I get a glass of wine with my dinner? And they're looking at you saying, huh? Yeah. Yeah, but... You go on all these grapes, surely you make some wine. No, mate, we grape growers. Yeah, I just, as a as a as a winemaker, and I've just said to you, best example of valued farming in the country. As a winemaker, that was just that was one of these gong what the fuck moments. Yeah, and I just thought, and I smelt a hop for the first time, rubbed it between my
0: oh, and
1: just thought. I've never smelt that in a beer. That is amazing. Yeah. Imagine that. This is 2004. This is before the... This is well, well, well before the, the craft craft beer, beer stage. Yeah. right now. There's 50 breweries in... A, small breweries in Australia at that stage. This... And, 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 and Bushy Park wasn't in good fettle. And I've... I've got thoroughly distracted. Absolute... I'm going to... While my vines are growing, James, I'm going to make a beer because it can't be that hard. Because... And he is one of the biggest uh, uh, social snobby wrongs in the food and beer. Beer is, just give me a beer, I'm thirsty, and then when I want to be sophisticated, I'll have a glass of wine. What is the difference between a hop and a bunch of grapes at an agricultural level? About fifty bucks a bottle. Mm. It's what is it about the grape? You smell that perfume? It is amazing. It is at least as good as the perfume in a lot of grape. I got with no experience, had never made a beer in my life. Absolutely no idea. I'm going to make a beer. <laughs> I qualified. I went to brewing school and no, nothing about it. It's fermented. What is it? It's fermented grain. Cool. I can ferment stuff. It's easy. Except I made a f- very, very fundamental mistake, James. There's the hops. There's the water in the river. And I got this bloody big farm that I haven't planted my vineyard. I'm going to grow some grain. So I did I put eighty hectares of barley in before I even knew that you had to malt the barley before you brewed it. Yield barley coming at my ears, and it's not business one oh one. This it really it's just it's just meandering, and I made every mistake in the book. I'm st- and here we are. So fifteen years later, I'm st- I'm still hacking away at making beer cuz it is fascinating i'm, I'm lost
0: completely <laughs> lost <laughs> i remember you, you'd saying um at grow assembly a few years ago like one of the other fundamental questions you were asking about beer was why why are we controlling the the core of what beer is which is the 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 fermentation the brewing why are we controlling it using chemistry, using science, using cultured yeast? Why why can't we wild ferment beers? Why can't why, we do Why that? can't we? Why can't we?
1: Because, because for the last 100 years, that's where the beer market has gone. And not only uh, has the beer market in Australia been controlled by... A limited number of corporations, for whom that is essential. It has controlled the entire thought process around the product, and therefore, their beer was a a singular noun. I will have. I would like a beer. Mm. The idea of variation, or there was no such thing as a Cabernet Sauvignon. And a Shiraz and a Chardonnay of beer. It was just a beer. Yeah. Might, might a, a brand. Dark, might have been a dark beer if you were feeling particularly adventurous. Yeah. But even that was made like a blonde beer with a bit of dark stuff chucked in. Yeah. And it, and it, and it controlled the thought. It controlled the thought and the expectation and everything. Everything. So, um, yeah, Buggerlugs here, completely divorced from the beer world. Has no association with it at all. Doesn't know the language. Doesn't know how to do it. Just got this. Just seen this agricultural product across the river. Has a dip. Um, just smacked headlong into uh, a, a century or more of established thought and process, and the feedback loop was. <laughs> Intense mm. <laughs> There you go um, But i tell you what Here's a glass of beer James takes a sip oh, I like that, can you do that? I'll, I'll have that one again What? You want that? You want it again? Yeah, 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 just like that How about I give it a bit of this and do it No, 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 I, I want that one If I had to do that, there's no way I would be still making beer. The vineyard would be in and I'd be off back doing what I did. If I had to adhere, I I, I don't think I could have done it for a start, but getting lost in what I think is significantly more fascinating fermentations than I ever encountered in winemaking, Mm. the diversity of beer fermentations when they are wild is extraordinary, captivating, fascinating, and it completely fucked with my karma and everything I thought I knew and I just i, I haven't I'm, um, haven't yet emerged I am just as captivated by it today as I was when the first thing went wrong and I thought what happened there? It is a remarkable process I And mean, if I had to modulate it and cut it down and do it industrially to produce a product for mass appeal. Not not 10% is interesting. Mm. And I would have, as you can tell, I suffer from distraction. I would have wandered off somewhere else and done, you know what I mean? This has gripped me for
0: longer than I've ever been gripped by anything. Mm. <laughs> the, other, the other thing that um, I remember you talking about was... Um, the process of filtration and that stripping so much good stuff out of the product. Um, And I've had several guests on the podcast. Um, I I had uh, Sharon, who also spoke at Grow Assembly, and she obviously makes beautiful fermented foods and and non-alcoholic beverages. And, uh, And Campbell Burton, who specifically mentioned your product, and their promotion of good bacteria and good gut health. And I think that is another really fundamental part of the, 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 the way that you are approaching your, your product, your, the, the, the way that you are um, brewing and, and getting that in front of people. And I don't know it's it, 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 you can be very cynical and say, "Oh yeah, drinking beer is good for your health," kind of thing. It's like, well, you know, everything in moderation, of course. But there, there is good bacteria, and and that promotes good, good health in your body.
1: Look, at, look, look! A natural fermentation process of a grain-based, and, and we all. Uh, except that uh, for, for for those that don't have um, um, uh, issues with gluten and bits and pieces, that that, that bread is of is, is sourdough bread, wild fermented bread, is a magnificent food product. Um, uh, beer is a is a liquid form of sourdough bread in the way we do it. Um, uh, uh, the the uh, you got to remember grapes, for example, is sugar. Uh, glucose and fructose in, in grapes, and that's basically ninety nine percent of the of the constituents of uh, a uh, chemical constituent of the of the of the fermentables in the, in the grape. It's a pretty simple fermentation. I mean, I'm 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 un- I am deliberately uh, uh, playing that down because it's a lot more complicated th- than that at a, at a, at another level. But um, beer, uh, uh, you're starting with the starch in the grain. And we have to make the sugars through a conversion process Mm -hmm. and that is by nature imperfect and so we're left with all sorts of bits and pieces. So as as a substrate, the wort, which is the beer equivalent of must, is so much more complicated than wine and then if you let... Uh, uh, if you control that and just put in a specific yeast and and to the exclusion of all others, you get a result which is by and large most of the beers that, that people drink and that's fine but it's not over unless you maintain the integrity of that one yeast or or, or or selected yeast system. but if you do what we do and don't maintain the integrity i.e you allow nature to unfold, you get the most complex bevy of organisms chewing into this thing because there is food for all of them. And Mm. it's yeast, bacteria, and then the wild yeasts, and they come in phases. And what you're referring to uh, is specifically uh, lactobacillus, lactic acid-producing bacteria. Uh, And uh, they are known as probiotics because anything that lactobacillus has acted on uh, is rendered immediately and significantly more digestible to the human body. Mm. Sauerkraut, you name it, kimchi, kefirs, they're all as a result of lactobacillus fermentation and the human body is particularly receptive to that and finds all of that much more digestible. Mm. That's where all this good health probiotic Stuff comes from And guess what The natural The naturally occurring Microorganism On the surface Of all Grain based plants Is not yeast It is lactobacillus So to allow (laughs) That's where the word Sourdough comes from Because lactobacillus Converts uh, 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 Works on 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 the uh, Enzyme modified starch And and, and produces lactic acid bacteria, hence the sour
0: mm.
1: And the point is Therefore beer in its natural state Allowed to naturally ferment Allows those organisms to go to work And at the whole, at, at the completion of that And by the way, the entire fermentation of that wort beer equivalent of must, takes three years to unfold, at least. And at the end of that, without any any filtration, any preservatives, anything whatsoever, we emerge at the end of that product with a food product that has been digested by countless thousands of different types of organisms, is absolutely safe, is absolutely preserved in time... And has an acidic content which allows it to age like any fine wine. It is a remarkable product. And James, there are no books on this. I encountered this with no knowledge just by fumbling around in a tin shed on a farm doing something that I didn't know what I was doing. <clears throat> and we have enlightened ourselves to a thing that is an exceptional food product. Yes, it's beer or cider or cider, but in the way the market interprets beer and cider, those two concepts that I've just breathed are just light years apart from where beer had had come commercially and what we've stumbled into here. That is, changes beer from the singular noun into a plural word. And what a dramatically plural word it is. So somebody else can plant the vineyard. Because I am... Uh, uh, I'm not.
0: I'm lost in beer. Lost. Forever. And that's probably part of the reason it took me so long to actually sit down with you and, uh, and record <laughs> the podcast because you've been uh, lost in the beer, as it were. Um, I, I Honestly, I, I'm, I could continue chatting with you all day Um, uh, already it's been one of the longer episodes that I've recorded Uh, so unfortunately I'm going to have to cut it short there Um, but I do highly encourage everyone to seek out more information about what Ashley's doing down here in the Derwent Valley Uh, and even better, come and visit the farmhouse and taste some beer from a natural tap not of this, you know gas controlled temperature controlled just just as it is, proper farmhouse live ale, uh, from a farm. and 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 have a chat with Ashley and find out more because uh, it's really exciting. Um, I, I I think that it's fantastic that there is a lot more um, embracing of um, this side of brewing uh, in Australia now. Um, certainly, you know, in the trade in, in Melbourne, a lot of uh, of my customers they're embracing beer. In a way, not unlike wine, um, in the same way that they're embracing sake in that way, that like they, they are enjoying this kind of this rawness, this realness, this this natural energy in the product.
1: Well, kudos to you uh, for your persistence, and but 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 also kudos to you and and your generation of uh, professionals in the industry. You work in wine, and yet you have persisted to try and interview me and come all the way out here to my farm in Tasmania to do this, and it's not wine. And that is a remarkable change in the way younger people are thinking about food and wine in Australia today. It's encouraged by people like yourselves, food and beverage professionals, new restaurants... Chefs. Chefs. The whole thing is at a level of excitement and can do... That this country has never seen. And thankfully it is
0: trickling down to the consumers themselves. Oh, I hope
1: so. Uh, and Trick, trickling. Trickling, but that's, look, let's face it, uh, we can only trickle because we make this ourselves and it runs out. Yeah. We get back to where we started the discussion. The volume will supply the market and we will supply the colour and interest at the level that we can. And so thank you. Uh, that is indicative of uh, this is ex- exciting new beverages and exciting new times. And it, it, it's, it, look, it is. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating moment to be doing all this sort of stuff. And exciting new Tasmania. Ah, Tessie's just great. Always has been. <laughs>
0: I love coming down here. Uh, but, Ashley, thank you very much. Thank you, um, I will provide uh, links as far as websites, social media, that kind of thing. Uh, but, like I say, do check out um, Two Meter Tall, uh, and uh, if you do see Ashley, he's pretty hard to miss. He is indeed two metres tall. Um, so if you see him out, do go and introduce yourself and uh, let, let him know that you heard him on the podcast. But uh, thank you, Ashley, and I look forward to enjoying many, many more beers in the future. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, James. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to this rather extended episode of the Vincast. I have been James Gasbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino. Uh, you can find out more information about two meter tall farmhouse ale and cider at the website. 2MT, that's the number 2MT.com.au, and you'll find um, links to social media there as well. Uh, You can find me on social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm at IntrepidWino, and you can find the podcast on Twitter at TheVincast. You can also find me on YouTube, um, IntrepidWino, one word, lots of different videos there. I think I uh, have looked at um, one of Ashley's former products on there, the snake bite, I think it was, uh, which was awesome. Uh, and please do subscribe, uh, leave a comment, uh, like some videos, share them on social media, and uh, make sure to leave a comment because I'd love to hear from you. Um, you can also subscribe to the podcast on a, a number of different platforms, including iTunes, the Podcasts app, uh, new Google podcasts app, uh, Stitcher, Player FM, Podbean, iHeartRadio. Uh, it's on Spotify now. Um, Uh, Subscribing to the podcast means you get get the newest episode. As soon as it becomes available, you can access the full back catalogue. And it's also a great way to provide some feedback. So please do take some time to leave a rating and review if you enjoyed this or any other episode of the podcast, Uh, as I really do appreciate the feedback and it also helps grow the audience. Uh, All the information there is available on my website, intrepidwiner.com, as well as information about my little wine brand and lots of different writings I've done in the past. But uh, guys, until next episode... Bye.
1: Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. Earbudsnetwork.com.